The word apocalypse has a dire meaning in our culture today. Hollywood, for example, has made a lot of money on films with apocalyptic or end-of-the-world storylines. However, in the Bible's last book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, the word has another meaning. The word apocalypsis in the Greek language suggests that something previously veiled to human understanding has been unveiled or revealed to us by God. The last book of the Bible unveils or reveals Jesus to us as He really is, in all of His glory. Jesus is the source of all revelation. Without Him unveiling the truth to us, we would be left in the dark and life would be an unsolved mystery. I'm Ron Jones. Something Good starts right now. Billions of Christians are waiting for the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And yet many do not understand how it will occur. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. My name is Brian. Thanks for stopping by. Coming your way next, Ron takes us to the book of Revelation and to an unveiling of the mystery behind our Lord's future return to earth at the end of days. What will it look like? What are the events that will take place leading up to Christ's return? Stay with us now to find out as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to any of our broadcasts on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Revelation, the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. A good story always has something easily seen and something that's hidden. Uh, a good story has something that's obvious to uh, the naked eye and also something in it that's maybe a bit more mysterious, we might say. And this is especially true of God's story. Uh, so far on our study of Scripture from the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation, we have seen only what God chooses to reveal to us. And we have seen only what the eyes of faith have been willing to see. But much more of God and his story remains hidden from us. Uh, the Apostle Paul alluded to this rather mysteriously in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13 and verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Uh, we've arrived at our final stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible, and I'm talking about that uh, fascinating and, yes, mysterious book known as the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word translated revelation is apocalypsis, and it literally means to unveil or to reveal. Now, culturally, it often refers to uh, the catastrophic end of the world and the apocalypse, you know. Hollywood loves you know, apocalyptic themes. But in the Bible, it means something different. Think of the apocalypse of Jesus Christ as, as God pulling back the curtain to show us what's happening on earth now and, and especially in the future. 
Revelation is known for its strange images that are often difficult to understand. That's because it's apocalyptic literature. It's a type of prophecy in the Bible. Other examples of apocalyptic literature include Nebuchadnezzar's giant statue with four types of metals. Do you remember that in Daniel chapter two? And then in Ezekiel chapter one, we have a vision of four-faced creatures with wings and wheels and you know, it's, it's, it's all rather mysterious and symbolic. And, and then in, in the book of Revelation, there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the beast of Revelation. Uh, these images have intrigued Bible readers for, well, for 2,000 years. And we're going to touch upon that in our study this morning. Throughout church history, Bible teachers have, um, well, chosen one of four ways to interpret Revelation. I don't have time to go through all four of them. But I want you to know up front that years ago, I adopted the view. Uh, it's called the futurist view. It's that view that sees um, the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24 and 25, and Jesus' predictions about uh, the end of the age, and also Revelation chapter 4 through 22. Uh, I adopted that view as these things happening in the future. And that view is of, of Bible interpretation is often referred to as the normal or literal or standard view of interpreting, even when you're interpreting apocalyptic symbols. I believe the futurist view makes the most consistent sense of the book of Revelation. I also agree with other futurists who see chapter 1 and verse 19 as the key that unlocks the mysteries of the apocalypse. Uh, John writes... Write, therefore, the, the things that you have seen, things that are and those that are to take place after this. That little verse in chapter 1 and verse 19 shows us how the book unfolds. For example, things that you have seen, that's chapter 1. Things that are, that's chapters 2 and 3. And then the largest arc in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 22, those that are to take place, the futurist view. There you have it. Now you understand the book of Revelation as simple as it is, right? No, it's much more difficult than that. It's a complex book. So let's drill down uh, as deeply as we can while we still kind of travel on this 30,000 foot of this uh, fascinating and mysterious book known as uh, the Revelation or the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Starting in verse 1, where uh, the curtain is pulled back and we catch a glimpse of the glorified Jesus. John is on the island of Patmos. He is a, a prisoner. He's, he's an old man by now. And he writes in chapter 1 and verse 2 that there on the island he bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. He encourages us to read and to study and to apply and to obey the revelation that he is writing down. In the next verse, verse 3, he says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is one of seven blessings that we find throughout the book of Revelation. It says to us in so many ways that the blessed life belongs to those Believers in Jesus who at least read the last book of the Bible and obey it. There's a blessing coming your way today, just in the hearing of this message. But the last four words, or five words of um, verse 3, intrigue me. John says, for the time is near. The time is near for what? 
Well, we sang just a few minutes ago, like a bride waiting for her groom, the church waits patiently in hope for the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, We are nearer to Jesus' second coming than John was 2,000 years ago, but John said the time is near. So how do we understand nearness in the Bible? Well, we have to understand it from God's perspective. We learned earlier in uh, the book of 2 Peter that Peter says, uh, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to God. So from, from his perspective, from heaven's perspective, yeah, the second coming of Jesus is near. He's only been gone for a couple of days but it seems so much longer uh, to us. Uh, When Jesus came to this earth from heaven, he veiled certain aspects of his deity. He veiled certain aspects of his identity. But Revelation chapter one unveils glorified Jesus in ways only briefly seen by a few of his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that uh, time when Peter, James, and John went to the mount and um, uh, Jesus' clothing, you know, uh, glowed in radiance. They caught a glimpse of his glory. And of course, Peter wanted to build a tabernacle right then and there. And and Jesus said, no, we can't do that. You know, we got other things to do here. But in Revelation chapter 1, we see him in his glorified state. When John, who also wrote the gospel according to John and first and second and third John, when he pens the revelation, he's not writing about the Jesus of Bethlehem. He's not writing about Jesus, the Galilean rabbi. He's not writing about Jesus in Gethsemane. He gives us the glorified Jesus. He writes of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. John catches a vision of glorified Jesus as a royal priest, as the ancient sage. Let's pick it up in verse 12, where John says, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Uh, There is the royal priest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow, the ancient sage. John also encounters Jesus who burns with conviction and passion. He speaks with authority. He even comforts John when John falls down in fear of the vision that he sees. Beginning in verse 14, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice, his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the shining, the sun shining in full strength. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is Jesus like we've never seen him. Risen, glorified, back in the heaven from which he came, and deserving and worthy of all of our worship. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Listen to Ron's messages on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. 
When you stop by, be sure to check out Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. Look for Something Good Courses when you visit our streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org. That's Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, where you'll discover what it means to be a disciple and learn how to train others to be true followers of Christ. Will believers in Christ be alive during the seven-year tribulation on earth? Find out next as we hear the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Revelation, the Apocalypse of Jesus. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. That brings us to chapters two and three, the next major section where we find, of all things, some letters, letters, seven letters to seven churches, actual churches that existed in the first century in Asia Minor. John says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard a loud voice saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then he names them to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Chapters two and three record the seven letters John penned from Jesus to seven churches located in Asia Minor, which today is the western coast of Turkey. I led a group of people uh, along the western coast of Turkey and visited every one of these sites and saw the rubble. Uh, some of the sites were, were more developed than others, like Ephesus. But these, these are not um, Alice in Wonderland-like places. These were real churches, just like ours, in the first century. Each of the letters follow a similar pattern, starting with a reference to Jesus taken from John's breathtaking vision of him in, the, in, in chapter one. Uh, the letters contain a mixture of commendation and, and condemnation, even correction. Uh, some of the churches were doing better than others. And uh, one church, Jesus even referred to as a dead church. Don't ever attend a dead church. Find a church that's alive, and let me just tell you something, a church that's alive is worth the drive, no matter where you're coming from. Amen. Amen, that's right. I characterize the churches this way. Ephesus was the loveless church. They had lost their first love. Smyrna, the persecuted church. Pergamum, the compromising church. Thyatira, the corrupt church. Sardis, there it is, the dead church. Don't go there. Philadelphia, the faithful church. And then there's Laodicea. Laodicea is the lukewarm church. You want to know why? It has to do with their geography. Again, I was there many years ago, and I noticed a, a triangulation of cities. There's Laodicea. Up the road is Colossae. Remember the letter to the church in Colossians, the Colossian church? And then uh, kind of this way, um, there's a, a, a mountainous area where there's a city called Hierapolis. Think of Hot Springs, Arkansas. People would go there for a relaxing time. But the hot water would come from Hierapolis, the cold water from Colossae. You can imagine by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And Jesus uses this to describe the condition of the church at that time. He says, you are neither hot nor cold from me. You are lukewarm and I wanna spit you out of my mouth, he says. What a damning indictment the church in Laodicea receives. And again, these are seven actual churches. Read the letters at your uh, leisure and in your own time, but also understand that some people see the flow of church history in these seven letters, uh, beginning 
at the, uh, in the apostolic era all the way to the end of the age, if that is the case, and if we are near the end, we are in the era of the Laodicean church. Oh, may it never be said of our church that we're lukewarm, that we're just sort of complacent about the things of God and about Jesus. He wants you to either be hot for him or just, just cold for him, but don't be lukewarm. He says, I want to spit you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. That brings us to chapters four and five. We go now from some things on earth to things in heaven, to worship that is taking place in heaven in John's vision. And as you're reading through the book of Revelation, you really kind of have to keep both places in mind. As you're reading, ask yourself the question, is this happening in heaven? Is it happening on earth? Because as we get to the tribulation period, there are things happening simultaneously. And in chapters four and five, uh, we get a picture of worship in heaven. Now, chapter three ends with the Laodicean church and Jesus knocking at the door of the lukewarm church. Tragically, he is outside of his church and he's like a gentleman knocking on the outside of the church asking for his bride, the bride of Christ, to open the door and let him in. If that is a description of the church at the end of the age just prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, woe be to that church who's put Jesus on the outside when he needs to be in on the inside. But the next scene Pictures the Apostle John standing before heaven's open door. And a voice that sounds like a trumpet says to the Apostle, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Future language. Now we're into that section of Revelation that the futurist says, well, is in the future. Interestingly enough, after chapter 3, the church is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Revelation, which gives a, a silent argument for some to the idea that the rapture of the church happens prior to the tribulation period. I'm one that holds to a pre-wrath rapture of the church, that uh, we are saved from the wrath to come, that wrath that is the outpouring of God's uh, judgment upon the earth during the tribulation period. If the church is not on earth but in heaven, well, uh, the shift in chapters four and five to worship in heaven make perfect sense in the flow of John's uh, letter here. In my book, Mysteries of the Afterlife, years ago, I noted that John pauses three times in the book of Revelation to give us a glimpse of worship in heaven. Chapter four, chapter five, also in chapter seven, we get a glimpse. While apocalyptic disasters are happening on earth during the tribulation, exhilarating worship is taking place in heaven. And John's descriptions are worth reading in your own time. As the angels of heaven and even the church gather around the throne and uh, sing to the one who is worthy, worthy of all uh, authority and power and glory and honor in heaven and on earth. And that brings us to the largest section of the book, uh, chapters 6 through 19. Uh, this section describes a seven-year period in Bible prophecy known as the tribulation. It's also known as Daniel's 70th week. And you have to take Revelation chapters 6 through 19 and tether it to Daniel 9, 24 to 27, when Daniel talks about 70 weeks of a prophecy. A prophetic week is not days, not seven days, but seven years. And there are 490 years in Daniel's prophecy 
just to cut to the chase, there's one prophetic week that remains. In the midst of all of this chaos, judgment after judgment being poured out on the earth, Jesus himself offers a message he's been offering to you all your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, he says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out the Something Good Digital Library with more than 500 hours of Bible teaching from Dr. Ron Jones that will help you in your journey with Jesus. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Some of life's greatest adventures take place on a road trip. Nothing is more enjoyable than traveling the open highway with the windows rolled down and the music turned up. Each town, each exit, an experience all its own. Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio, and today I'm inviting you to take a road trip with me. You see, I'm convinced that reading the Bible is the greatest literary adventure you can ever take. But with 66 books, two testaments, and more than 600,000 words, it can be a daunting journey to attempt. That's why I wrote my two-volume book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, where I give you a bird's-eye view of God's Word so you can clearly see how it all fits together. All 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So pack your bags and join me on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. You'll be glad you did. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, not only did you break this project up into two volumes, but you created what you call eight different road trips five in the Old Testament and three in the New. Help our listeners understand the motivation behind that literary structure. You know, Brian, categorizing the various books of the Bible into eight separate groups is nothing new. Uh, they include the books of the law, the Old Testament historical books, uh, the wisdom books, the major prophets, the minor prophets. Then we're into the gospels and the early church, the Pauline epistles and we finish up with the general epistles in Revelation. But when I first decided to compare the reading of God's Word to a travel adventure, well, it took me almost no time to come up with the phrase road trip to identify these eight sections of Scripture. Uh, what I believe the reader will begin to see a little more clearly is that the books of the law, for example, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ as much as the Gospels do. That's because the Bible is one story with one main character. His name is Jesus, and he is the Christ. My hope is that by experiencing the 66 books of the Bible as eight separate road trips, uh, this overarching theme will be easier to recognize and understand. Such a great idea, Pastor Ron. 
We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. Again, that's the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Both volumes are yours as our thank you when you give a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099. And if it's more convenient, mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. And you can mark it down. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, describes the formation of the government of Christ on this earth. And link that passage to an Old Testament passage found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We like to quote this at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's Bethlehem talk, right? But it goes on to say that uh, the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. That's next time in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Revelation, the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.